Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Today we have a conversation with a friend, Ed Rosa. That's me. Hi. My filmmaking partner and I have a YouTube channel, Toothless Richard Productions, where you can see a number of our short films. God's Not Dead is the story of a college undergraduate, Joss Wheaton, played by Shane Harper, taking on his professor, Jeffrey Radisson, played by Kevin Sorbo, defending his position that God is alive. Flipping the switch over to think of it as a campy, willfully excessive and sort of silly movie can make it kind of pleasurable. I snorted a few times because I felt they're trying to present something earnest that I cannot accept. As earnest, it seems like a joke. It's kind of like the uh, non-secular Magnolia. <laughs> <No. laughs> Alright. There was a really good line in that first sequence when we meet the professor with this requirement everybody write down god is dead he even explains out loud that we're using that phrase and idea as a metaphor to consider a different approach to things which is perfectly legitimate it doesn't threaten anybody's greater sense of faith right our lead josh of course can't accept this i i found all that just very troublesome that this professor is choosing to section off the only portions of it that he thinks are valuable in as much as that helps him grind an axe, which, let's just jump forward, 90 minutes in the movie, and my God, it takes a long time to get there. <laughs> the confrontation between these two where Josh says, What happened to you? And he goes into this whole thing, When I was 12, my mom died, and God wouldn't save her, and I've hated God ever since. Now, I've heard that in my life, too. Sure. Where somebody suffers that's, a tragedy and breaks sure. their Yeah. I suspect that an honest-to-goodness, tenured professor at a liberal arts institution would probably open a class by explaining some of their basic assumptions. In my experience with Introduction to Philosophy classes, I've never, ever seen a professor do what Kevin Sorbo's character uh, does. But I have seen Christian students hold up discussions <laughs> uh, when uh, something comes up, much to the frustration of the professor, because it, it seems like they sort of are missing the point and have this problem just stepping outside of themselves for a moment to even consider a, a proposition or a supposition or whatever without putting God in the mix. I'm a-religious. I just, I see that it's valuable to a lot of people and a lot of people derive great strength from their belief system and I'm cool with that. So long as it isn't, isn't imposed on me in any particular way that I can't just sidestep. Right. This movie is aimed at people who already agree with Josh's position. And there's a smart thing that he says in the opening interaction with the professor, taking the bull by the horns. And he says something like, I'm leaping into this with a certain willingness to accept blindly that there's a fundamental truth I can't quite understand. That's gold. When you see a character that proves to be well-targeted at the appropriate audience like this one is... Uh, something speaking to me. Like, and of course that's why people would turn out for this. Yeah. I mean, this, this $2 million movie earned more than $60 million yeah, in North America. That's a lot more God's Not Dead. When it's coming apart, you had it all. It wasn't enough. No, it's not enough. 
I know many of the greatest philosophy greatest philosophers of all times. When if you read their books, it's just a list of bullet points. Yeah, where they just boil it down to just one simple thing like these, that, and you can just these are the twenty things that, that you need to know about Nietzsche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is it. Don't worry about no, all of the books know. and the heavy lifting, and don't worry about the translation. Don't yeah. don't do that. No, this is the for dummies version, and that's pointed to repeatedly. Both of them do this, so it, it's a it's an equal failure of both positions. But every time a new quote comes up, and then Josh expresses. His confidence and how right he is, I felt to myself, well, all you're doing is pulling a quote that's an interesting quote. It's the kind of thing I remember people buying for posters to stick in their bedroom walls when I went off to sleepaway camp called college because you wanted to decorate your room in the way that you wanted to decorate your room without your parents' approval or disapproval. And I found it completely empty, yet the cutaway shots to the crowd they've employed to fill up this amphitheater, this classroom of 80 students, everybody would sit forward and they'd put their chin on their fist and smile or mm, shaking their heads and I've been around that. I've seen that happen when something indeed provocative happens, but that is another point of my irritation with this movie. Now, let's set aside the theology and philosophy of the piece and just concentrate on technique. If you just cut fishes and tails of these scenes to avoid that material which we're clearly gathering very quickly, you could shorten this movie which would make it better, like it makes most movies better. If you just cut the stuff out that is inefficient. So that's a gripe, a concrete technique gripe that has nothing whatsoever to do with (laughs) worldview. The next big flaw to me is the cast. Most of them are not really very good at delivering their lines in any way that I found emotionally believable. But here's a third point, and this goes right to the divide between my worldview and this movie's worldview, this Christic position about how the cultural politics of our time work. If you find emotionally realistic the way that Josh presents his belief that a God-centric view and God-centered view is the appropriate way to experience reality, he's going to win no matter what happens. Yeah. He's an appealing, healthy-looking guy. He's, <laughs> he's a nice kid. Yeah. <laughs> He seems to be legitimately true to his system of thinking. He wants to do right by people. He smiles a lot. He's friendly. You made a reference that I thought was funny to Magnolia. This movie is trying to make sure that we understand that there's there's a faith community of the true dealers who've been trained, the clergy, and then there are the, the people who are gravitating to the church as the church goers, like Josh. We learn that one of the clergy he visits with, his reverend, Reverend Dave, played by David White, who is indeed an ordained minister. A.R. White. Does A.R. stand for A-Righteous? <laughs> it could be. A-Righteous and, White. <laughs> and, and so that, that, that secondary storyline features Reverend Dave having a kind of crisis of thinking that his work isn't amounting to much. He doesn't see the purpose or the everyday content of his labors in faith coming to fruition, yet he counsels people through the course of the movie. And by the time we reach the end, which we'll get to, (laughs) Reverend Dave has found his way. And among the things that he does is offer a few breadcrumbs to Josh to help him begin mounting the defense of God seemingly necessary to deal with this difficult professor. The trouble is, Reverend Dave isn't a very convincing actor. (laughs) <laughs> no, he is not. <laughs> he, he, too, is, a, is an appealing guy. He's open. He's friendly. He offers kindness to people around him. But that doesn't mean that he knows how to cheat his way to frame into the camera and deliver lines in a way that's convincing. Let's just realize, though, when they go to B-storyline of Reverend Dave, it slows down the momentum in an instant. 
If you didn't keep going to that as yeah. many times as they do, you could speed the movie along by subtracting 10 minutes of its length in that one choice. Then we have a C storyline, and that's the professor's girlfriend, who we're told he poaches from the very same class, Philosophy yes. 150, because he thought she was so pretty and hoped she had a mind to go with it and waited until the midterm was over to ask her out. Now, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a scrupulous man. You're right. Want to wait. Chicken Hawk Sorbo goes right after this 18-year-old and yeah. plucks her from the crowd. He's, uh, he's easily two or three times her age. And that strikes me as super-duper weird, but that's like the C storyline. <laughs> and she's a Christian, and she's been subjected to the assault of his belief system, but for whatever <laughs> reason doesn't mind being his cook and maid and his, his service yeah, provider his, for his, shopping. Yeah, his, 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 his basically his, his manservant. Then there's a D storyline, which has to do with this gotcha ambush blogger journalist who's trying to build a greater career. Who writes for the new left. Right! And she's working on having her own advertisers. She's hooked into this businessman. We don't really know what he does, but that's played by Dean Cain. Oh, no, he's a... Is he not in a law firm? Yeah, I think think it was. We see him in a suit commanding people and being generally kind of a prick. Sure. Well, they're together, and she goes to Willie Robertson's church of of Duck Dynasty fame and ambushes him. Yes. Do you think it's okay to kill ducks? And so on. And it just unravels from there. But her storyline comes to a head because she develops and learns she's got cancer. Mm-hmm. Dean Kane's character instantly breaks Dumps up with her. her. <laughs> <laughs> Which was hilarious. What an awful you know, who guy would, Who is. would do that? Like, yeah. Uh, I, 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 honestly, that, that's probably one of my favorite moments in the movie because... Uh, <laughs> Dean Cain doesn't. Uh, the kid, he doesn't even stop to consider it for a second. She delivers him the news, and he is instantly so disappointed that she would be so weak to develop cancer <laughs> that, it, like, it's over. We've had a good ride. We really you did, know, indeed, have a good time together. But it's it's, it's done. A- Never mind that there's a freshly uncorked bottle of Cristal on the way to the table. <laughs> already- uh, I'm out. <laughs> right. Leaving her presumably with the check as well as a broken heart and her cancer. And then the the D storyline and the B storyline wrap together because Dean Cain's character, Mark, shares a parent who's lost in dementia land Mm -hmm. and the girlfriend of the professor who's sympathetic to mom and visits her, but Mark will not because he's a Mark. And then, so then there's an E storyline where grandma-ish dementia woman suddenly has this epiphany about being a good person from deep in the Alzheimer's land. And then there's even an F storyline. Where we've got this international student from yeah, China. BRC. This is Martin Yip, who has a crisis of conscience. His father has sent him sent him abroad as the older son. Don't you get any funny ideas about religion? That's just crazy talk. But Martin realizes that he thinks Josh is right. Yep. God is not dead. Now all of that mess, pretty dense, gets attached to Josh. The pacing is not very effective. There are repeated jokes which aren't helpful. There are repeated details, which are not helpful. Oh, I'm even forgetting, then, there is a, a Muslim student. Oh, oh, that's right. Who is, uh, so we have a G storyline. That's right. Aisha has learned that she accepts the, the doctrinaire position of Christianity, that Jesus Christ saved me by allowing himself to be crucified because his father commanded it. Thus, I am a Christian. But she's been doing this on the down low way deep because her father would not approve it. And indeed, he we, kicks her from the house he, when he, he discovers this. He beats her. Right. He, 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 she is punished for her apostasy. Slaps <laughs> her around and drags her from the house, closes the door, has a sobbing moment on either side of that door while we listen to some pretty rousing Christian rock. And what I know is there will never be a 
since at least the time of something like Academy Award winner Crash. We have watched web-like narratives become a predominant form of expressing serious stories. The trouble with that, that colonization of a way of telling a story, it it requires that so many moving parts are interlaced really, really well through the gift of great performance, great writing, so those performers have something to say, and that there is a theme that all of these things are punching through repetitively, but uniquely. But these performers aren't up to the task. The writing is a little bit on the nose and a little bit obvious. The underlying theme is is clear. We, we get it. It feels like a Disney Channel film. It does. The penultimate scene in the movie features Professor Radisson recognizing where his life has gone wrong. Walking across town in the middle of a rainstorm, he pauses at a crosswalk and he's hit by a uh, speeding car. By a speeding car, launched up into the sky, which was the <laughs> special effect shot of the movie. <laughs> After I have the budget on that one, falls to the ground. Whereupon Reverend Dave and his buddy Reverend Jude, who happened to be nearby, sees the opportunity. Sees this opportunity <laughs> to, to <laughs> say, "Will you accept God?" Because Reverend Jude says his lungs are filling up with blood. Yeah. His ribs have been crushed. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good diagnosis, just on site, by the way. So as we have Radisson literally bleeding out, they're proselytizing right over the top of the sky. That may be the way that a certain kind of reverend is meant to behave in a certain piece of the Protestant faith, but it seems really grubby. And, Which... and I and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you, you called nine one one, but I wouldn't be holding the man's hand unless he initiated the contact of wanting to talk about the Lord. Right. And in the narrative arc of the movie, we get all of the main characters, with the exception of these reverends and this now-dead professor, at this concert. It's a pretty good concert. These musicians, the newsboys, they know their business. Very, very charismatic. We are watching all of the other characters from all of the other storylines, A through G, celebrating the excitement of this music, and they cut away at a certain uncomfortable point to watch the reverends with the ambulance that's carting away the dead body of the deceased professor, and they're like, whoo, like managers at a baseball game. (laughs) Hey, you know, we We we, (laughs) we got out of the dugout a little late on that one, but man, we pulled it home after the seventh inning stretch. It feels very much like that. So again, any thoughtful, liberal-minded Christian looking at this movie and seeing that smash-up 10-minute sequence and then an entire song played for six or seven minutes over the credits, and to let the movie conclude that way and say, this was a win for my position... It doesn't work. It would be better if they had just made a documentary of the concert and let these characters be sidebars during the inevitable song breaks when the lead singer wants to talk to the audience, then tell these odd little magazine-style stories of these unusual people, each of whom is having their crisis with being faith-centered or secular-centered. Yeah, Those would be a better way to organize this message because it would center on the primary uplift of community which is how these musicians express their love of God and how God loves them in return by having gifted them this talent. It isn't designed to bring anybody into the fold. It's just designed to reinforce what you already believe because the film 
at no point does it engage with the ideas and the and the, and the philosophies behind sort of Christianity and try to like perhaps reach out to people. I, I mean, you'd have to be really simple minded to to buy this. Yeah, which was disappointing to me. Certainly, going into it, it, it wasn't as if I had heard like "God's Not Dead" is so good, you've got to see this thing. But I had hoped on some level that it would thoughtfully engage with the subject material and try to make a case for itself that wasn't completely ridiculous and based on uh, inaccurate caricatures. This semester I propose that we refuse to waste our limited time together debating the existence of the big man in the sky, the myth. We should remember that this is, in fact, based on a book called God's Not Dead, Evidence for God in an Age of Uncertainty, which is a, a bestseller of its type. I haven't read the book. I have no familiarity with this. I think he's a reverend as well. Rice Brooks. I don't know the background of this piece. I don't know how it's been circulated because I didn't come to this this uh, IP through the book. <laughs> I came through it because of the movie. But the angels they brought you and they're gonna hold you up. They're gonna hold you up. You and I don't need to agree about the ways that we fundamentally feel or react to things that we experience, in which case we're talking about movies or how we express ourselves in written form or verbally, how we talk about these things. It's not important that we agree with one another. It's important that we learn to marshal the evidence that arrives at what we feel, what we think, and why we feel that way. So when you say to somebody, I like this movie because I like this movie, that's a tautology. It's circular. It's like, the, it's like what they do to the Stephen Hawking quote. They discuss this in the movie. And right. so it's very thoughtful to use that term, circular reasoning, inside of the movie. But they're trapped in it as well. What I often ask people to do is find the moments in the movie that cause you to have great feeling. Unpack them for what you're actually seeing and hearing. What were the shots? What was the line of dialogue? What was the music? And by the way, the music in this, every time it focuses on Sorbo's position... It's haunting, like there's going to be something going to jump out of a broom yeah. closet and murder somebody. Yeah, very, it's it's horror. Sinister. Yeah, it's that kind of cue. So it's telling, it's shaping what yeah, you're supposed to was, It's telling you what you're supposed the, to do. The score is very manipulative. Very, very heavy, much very so. <laughs> and, and I noticed that because I've been trained to think a certain way and I observe certain things. So that's an example. I want you to find the evidence that you see and that you hear that gives rise to your feeling that causes you to think a certain way. It doesn't matter if I agree with you or not. You've done the job. Your, your opinion doesn't matter. What matters is that you can rationally defend your yeah, opinion. Yeah, that's right. Not by saying God is the center because God is the center and everything is a reflection of God at the center. That, that doesn't do it. Right. That's not good, constructive rhetoric. Getting back to flaws in the execution of this movie. Sorbo is the very best performer in the movie. In the sequences in the classroom, which is primarily where we see him, he's railing against Josh's position and trying to promote his God's dead ideology. He says things like the big benevolent friend in the sky, these these sort of very insulting phrases, which I've definitely heard the secular crowd hurl at the Christian crowd, which is insulting. It's meant to be. For sure. But if you're going to be a guy who is aware of those caricatures, who's already said to our hero, Josh, I'm the god of this room. Don't you come in here trying to humiliate me. 
Go for the fences, man. Yeah. Let this character really lay out the screaming awful material that I've heard people throw at the faithful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the idea that this is how college classrooms are in this film is preposterous automatically. So why not lean into it? He's ultimately going to be redeemed through the car accident that kills him. Let him be awful. For my money, the greatest theological statement that this movie lands on, it comes from the band, the Newsboys, who sit and form a prayer circle around Amy doing her gotcha ambush interview, but instead they counsel her that it's okay to have these questions, and it's okay to be doubtful about the fact that you're now struggling with cancer. It's a very nice message. And so to place that at the very conclusion of the movie, when everything's been trying to build towards that warmth, through the combat of the student and this professor and all the other B through G storylines, that's where it finally sounds the brightest and echoes how I've seen people in my life demonstrate the utility of their faith on making them good people. Again, if this had been the Newsboys broken up by these little short movies in between their songs, boom, that would have been gold. Yeah. Let hope arise and make the darkness hide. At the same time that this is in theaters, Son of God, which is a, a Jesus story, a biopic. Later in the month of March, Darren Aronofsky's Noah, mm -hmm. a kind of biopic spun through the Aronofsky weirdo machine starring Russell Crowe, <laughs> that was in theaters at the same time. It did bigger box office, but that movie had a much bigger budget. Then in April, I think just after Easter, the other big keynote was Heaven is for Real. You got the makings of a pretty good marathon. This is Blockbusters and Birdwalks, a conversation between Garrett Chaffin-Kirai and Ed Rosa. Boop-boobity-doo!